I would like to begin by guiding us through the passage from the book of Acts, the first reading that we just heard. The reading comes at the tail end of Peter's visit to Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Since this particular story in Acts marks a pivotal moment in the life of the early church, I want to retell what happened just before today's passage so that its importance is clear. This may get a little wordy, but I will try to be concise. Cornelius, a centurion living in Caesarea, is a proselyte. Proselytes were Gentiles or non-Jews who nevertheless worshipped God, practiced Jewish customs, and participated in synagogue prayers. Cornelius is visited by an angel who instructs him to send men to the town of Joppa and retrieve a man there named Simon Peter. At the same time, Peter is on a rooftop in Joppa having his own vision. He sees a tablecloth descend from heaven filled with all kinds of birds, reptiles, and animals, and a voice from above tells him to kill and eat them. But Peter refuses, being a good Jew who strictly follows dietary laws and for whom the eating of reptiles and other animals would be wrong. So the voice from above tells him what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Now, as Peter is wondering what to make of this vision, there is a knock at his door, and the men who came for him get Peter and bring him back to Cornelius. When these two men meet, they swap stories of their visions, and Peter realizes the meaning of his. Basically, God is telling him that the good news of Jesus Christ is not just for devout Jews who follow strict dietary laws. Rather, it is for everyone including Gentiles like Cornelius. Peter, like the other Jews who were the first followers of Jesus, had excluded Gentiles from hearing the gospel message, considering them ritually unclean and separate from God's chosen people. But the vision Peter has tells him otherwise. It insists that God alone can say who is clean or unclean. So Peter begins to preach to Cornelius and to his household. That's what we get in today's reading. And while he's speaking, the Holy Spirit falls upon everyone present, Jews and Gentiles alike. They start speaking in tongues. The Jewish followers are stunned. Even so, Peter recognizes the work of God, and he baptizes Cornelius and his entire household. As I said, this story marks a turning point in the formation of the early church, because before this, the only Christians were Jews. In fact, the word Christian had not yet been coined. Those Jews believed that Jesus was the final chapter of their centuries-long story of salvation, an extension of their relationship with the God of Abraham, and the fulfillment of the law first given to Moses. So their very identity as a Jewish people was integral to their faith in Christ as the Messiah. He was the culmination of their faith. When they see the Holy Spirit descend upon the Gentiles in the home of Cornelius, they are astonished precisely because they thought the message of redemption was for them alone. When you are told for thousands of years that you are God's only chosen people, it is understandably hard to suddenly witness the gift of God's grace landing on others. 
Some of those Jews grew fearful of losing their identity as a result if they had to share the grace with Gentiles. So they demanded that non-Jewish followers of Jesus keep the kosher food laws and be circumcised before being baptized into the faith. Others of them simply left and went back to their Jewish faith when they saw the Gentiles coming in. But it was not the church that was changing. What was evolving was those early Christians' understanding of the character of God's mission for the church and the world. The work of the Holy Spirit was more extravagant and inclusive than they had first realized. But not all of them were able to evolve along with that expansion of God's grace. That's the first reading. Then we get to today's gospel reading. In a dimly lit upstairs room on the Thursday of Holy Week, Maundy Thursday, the word Maundy coming from the Latin mandatum or commandment, Jesus tells his disciples, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Less than 24 hours later, he is dead, killed and betrayed by those in power. And so it has always been. Love is met with fear and violence. And although we know that resurrection follows, the human race seems mired in the killing fields of Good Friday with no end in sight. More explosions and violence on the border created between Palestinians and Israelis. Syria using chemical weapons against its own people. Trouble brewing once more in the Balkan states between Serbs and Albanians stirred by Russia and Turkey. Afghanistan, Iraq, Yemen, Libya, Nigeria, South Sudan, kidnappings, suicide bombers. Caravans of Hondurans fleeing drug gang violence and seeking asylum in the U.S. Cops killing blacks. Blacks killing each other. School shootings, church shootings, concert and club shootings, vans mowing down pedestrians. Abuse and sexual harassment of women at every level of society. People on either side of the Trump line alternately shouting at or not speaking to one another. Love one another as I have loved you. I must confess to feeling a little depressed lately. And I'm not alone, I know. A recent magazine article states that the U.S. economy is the best it's been in years. And yet Americans haven't felt as gloomy about their well-being since 2008 when the Great Recession hit. Many of those people polled blamed politics and polarization for feelings of anxiety and bitterness towards work colleagues and family. But I would go even bigger than that. I would say these are just the latest manifestations of that timeless struggle we have between love and fear. Wherever there is fear, borders and boundaries spring up, and violence soon follows. We box ourselves in and label everyone else them and they and other so that we might strengthen those barriers in our hearts and minds. Let's be honest. To some extent, we are, each and every one of us, 
guilty of this. There is some group out there that stirs up our fear, be it undocumented immigrants, the homeless, refugees, Muslims, other skin colors and ways they dress or behave in public, on and on and on. What's depressing is I have a feeling this is just endemic to our human nature. It's simply who we are. There is precious little evidence to the contrary. Now, it is my job as your preacher to leave you with a message of hope every time I step up to the pulpit. (laughs) And I fear I may have painted myself into a corner of awful truth. What can I say today? Not a lot. I was listening uh, on the radio as I was driving here yesterday for the 5 p.m. service. I was listening to a Bruce Springsteen song I hadn't really listened to before. Uh, It's called A Cautious Man. And um, a lyric struck me as kind of relevant to what I'm trying to say. It goes, On his right hand, Billy tattooed the word love. And on his left hand was the word fear. And in which hand he held his fate was never clear. That's us. Which one is it going to be, dear human race? Well, here's a little bit. We hear examples of barriers being broken open in today's readings. Against all odds, Peter, our hero, and those Jewish followers of Jesus welcome the Gentiles, despite knowing this will upend their own sense of identity. And in that dimly lit upstairs room in the middle of the night, those words of love Jesus speaks have not yet died out. Somehow, the tiniest little spark lit that night is still visible. And if we squint hard enough, we will see it within the swallowing darkness that surrounds us. All I can say it is is that it is somehow our job to go to that spark and light our candle from it and bring that candle back into the darkness however we can to make change in the world. There's so much darkness and there's so little spark. But this is why we're Christians. So the message today is... There is darkness. And you, each and every one of you, as if I'm sitting down next to you and looking you in the eye, you must do something in your life that helps others, that brings light to their darkness. And I'm not talking about your friends or your family or even your church. We love your pledges. We love your volunteer spirit. I'm talking about someone you don't even know. Because as the Bible says, even thieves love their friends. Love your enemies. That is the hardest saying in the Bible. Face your fears. Do a thing that benefits not you, but a stranger. Especially if it hurts a little. If you are not doing this somewhere in your life, I am sorry, but you are not living out your Christian call. That's kind of harsh. But there is so much darkness. 
we can no longer afford to pretend it's not there and we can go about our business and watch our Netflix, as I love to do, and read our books and go to our coffee shops. So it is my intention as your newish rector to strive for this to become months and years down the line, not tomorrow, the kind of church that people will one day point to from the sidewalk and say, they are bringing the light. Please ponder this in your hearts and know that loving one another as I have loved you was Jesus' way of saying, don't make the resurrection useless and fruitless and irrelevant. It only bears fruit and it is especially only relevant when you take the spark, light your candle, share it. May it be so. Amen.